You're entering the Side Mission Podcast. Three friends that love gaming and love experiencing original content and old school classics give their thoughts on the latest releases and newest topics in the gaming industry. Power up and let's get started. Welcome in everyone to the newest episode of Side Mission. Like always, I'm the host, the captain of the ship, Rusty Ellis, joined by only one of the boys today, Kyle Lynch. And today, we've got a couple things we're going to talk about. First, we're going to start off with some of the freshest news that we have ever had on this podcast. Uh, Kyle, the new Switch OLED model was revealed yesterday by Nintendo, yesterday being Tuesday. Uh, And I know that everybody has mixed feelings on it right now. I think there are people that like what they saw as a whole um kyle we've been talking for a while now about pro models for the switch possibly coming out i don't think that's what this is uh but what was kind of your what were your takeaways from the reveal and what are your thoughts on it so my uh my initial reaction was just waking up to everyone saying hey they announced a new switch and i was like oh well i i was expecting this at e3 but okay let's go let's take a look and uh, I, I saw the pictures of it, and I was like, okay, this thing looks pretty cool. But I didn't really notice that much of a difference, so I started reading into, you know, the technical aspects of it. And it 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 seems like it's not doing a whole lot different. It's got, uh, it's got a bigger screen. Um, it's like 7 inches instead of 6.2. It's got the enhanced audio. Um, the Joy-Cons and the dock are now white, which is cool. Um, the dock has a LAN port, and I feel like I'm forgetting something. No, I think that's everything. I think I think you just nailed down everything, but there's a very, very key omission there, is the fact that, uh, in handheld and in, uh, in dock mode, uh, there's no 4K, and we've been screaming about that for a while, so Kyle, I know that, uh... I know that you were disappointed by that as well. I mean, at this point, do you think this is worth the $350 price tag that Nintendo has put on it? Honestly, as somebody who already owns a Switch, I would say no. Just because for for what you're paying, I mean, I, I I'm essentially paying for a brand new, you know, a brand new Switch when I have one that works perfectly fine. And when I play it docked most of the time, the enhanced audio and the bigger screen doesn't really do a whole lot for me. And I feel like there are a, there's a whole, you know, percentage of people who mainly play docked. And that's a big group of people that you're just leaving out for this new console because the only upgrade for us is the LAN port. But even then, the Nintendo Online servers aren't really that great. Yeah. So, you know, no matter how great your internet connection is, Nintendo does not prioritize their multiplayer servers. So, I would say no, not for this. I think, I think honestly, it should have been three hundred, or you know, even cheaper, because the only thing that they really did was they put an OLED screen in it, and I will never see it because my Switch just stays in the dock. It should have been able to put out 4K. It should have been... So I like that the screen is bigger. I think that that was a good touch. And I like that they're changing it to, you know, an OLED screen. 
but it feels like they really didn't do much and they just wanted to slap another price tag on it so that they could make money because they know that everybody's going to buy it for no reason. <laughs> it, it gets even worse when you think about things like the land port. I feel like that should have just been included to begin with with the Switch dock. I don't know why it wasn't. I feel like that that feels like a very weird omission and it goes into something that I've been saying about Nintendo for a while now. Nintendo does not prioritize online multiplayer. They don't. And that's evident in the fact that when you look at, for example, there's no party chat system that is really all that good for Nintendo. PlayStation has got their deal with Discord they're working on, and Xbox party chat's been a great thing for years now. But Nintendo has never really been able to put anything like that into their games. You end up having to use Discord. And that's the issue. That's one issue with multiplayer game. Nintendo doesn't care about multiplayer games unless they're party games that you're all playing in the same room together, like Mario Party, Mario Golf, uh, Mario Tennis, a lot of Mario games, surprisingly enough, Mario uh, Tennis Aces. But the online multiplayer has been an issue for a while now, and that's evident in Mario Maker 2. That multiplayer, last I checked, is still unplayable. It's still not good. It's still really laggy. So the LAN port just seems like a very weird omission for the original Switch dock. That's a very, very weird thing. Now, in terms of cosmetics, it looks great. The white Joy-Cons look awesome. The white dock looks really sleek, and I feel like, as you know, our uh, our fellow side mission member Matt has said, I think it would look great next to a PlayStation 5 on, you know, your entertainment center. It probably would. But... I don't know if white Joy-Cons, which I believe fully, I fully believe will be made available to the public. I don't think those are just going to be available here. I feel like that's not enough. That's not enough to justify a $50 increase. And neither is the OLED screen, which you brought up a great point that I want you to elaborate on, Kyle, is that for all the talk of you know an improved battery, I feel like an OLED screen would run the battery down even quicker than before. Oh, 100%. That was my first thing that... I looked for was did they do anything about the battery? Did they make it better? Did they increase the lifespan? Did they, you know, make it charge faster or something? And I haven't to this day I haven't seen anything different about the battery, and that I think is one of the most disappointing things about this new switch. Why would I spend more money on something that prioritizes handheld, you know, because it's saying, hey, we got this new OLED screen. We got, you know, this, the, the, we widen the screen to seven inches now. They're wanting you to play handheld. So why did they not improve the battery? Because that OLED screen for sure will kill that battery faster, especially because if you really want it to look the best, you're going to have to keep that brightness pretty much all the way up. And... It's just, it's it's going to run that battery down so fast. And the Switch, since day one, has had an awful, awful battery. And it feels like this just, <laughs> this this might just make it worse. Why why come out with, you know, an improvement for the screen and, you know, enhanced audio when that's just going to be running the battery down even quicker than the Switch that I paid 50 bucks less for? And the problem is, is that even the revision on the Switch that improved the battery life, the battery life didn't really improve all that much. I mean, you're talking about the original day one Switches. They were running anywhere from like three to five hours, depending on the intensity of the game you were playing. Like, yeah, if you're playing like Super Bomberman or you're playing like, you know, 
I don't know, a, a game that is a lot less intensive, like uh, Celeste or Ori, something like that. Yeah, you could probably get four or five hours out of it. But if you were playing Breath of the Wild, you were getting two and a half hours out of that Switch before you needed to put it on a charge. And yeah. that's a problem. First of all, that's bad enough as is, and that's been that's been beaten over the head numerous times by many people in the video game industry, video game journalists, what have you. People have talked about that, you know, to no end. But the problem is that it, it's a lot like Joy-Con drift. There hasn't been very much of an effort to improve it in terms of Joy-Con drift. There's been zero efforts to improve it. There's been zero acknowledgement of it, and we obviously know why because of the pending lawsuit that Nintendo is facing. But the problem with this new Switch is that I don't know how much of a market it has. One thing we forgot to mention was that it does have 64 gigs of internal storage compared to 32. That is an improvement. That's cool. Ultimately, 64 gigs, ask any console gamer, that's not getting you anywhere. <laughs> 64 gigabytes of space is nothing. That fills up really quickly. So I don't think that's much of an improvement either. But going back to the market for the Switch, that's where I see the problem. Because I think if you already own a Switch, specifically a revision model or a special edition, which most special editions at this point are the revision model, I don't think you have any reason to get this. I don't. I, I, I don't think you have any reason at all. Now, if you have a Switch Lite or you have a day, like, you know, a, a first model Switch or you don't have one, yeah, it could be worth it. It could be. I just don't know if that $50 for a better screen, better audio, I, I don't know that it's 100% worth it. And that's why when I say the market, I think that this Switch is going to sell because it's a video game console in 2021. Consoles are impossible to find nowadays. Just ask anybody that's tried to get a PS5 recently. They're impossible to find. So they will sell. That's not in question. Nintendo is going to make their money, but the question will be how much of that is scalpers. So we'll move on from that, though. I mean, it's we sound like we hate it, but it's more or less that we were just kind of hoping for a little bit more. And the problem with yeah. building up expectations like I think a lot of the Switch community has is that when you have this idea that handheld 4K is possible, which it 100% is, look at phones, it 100% is possible. Uh, and then the idea of you know the dock being able to scale up to 4K on your TV, ultimately when you leave that out, that's the biggest thing people wanted and we didn't get it. So it's disappointing, just kind of how it is. Uh, I've always said uh, gamers are only happy when they're not happy. So uh, moving on from that, we're going to get into... Uh, our mine and Kyle's personal top five games that we've played this year thus far. Before we do that, Kyle, let's get into some honorable mentions. What are some games that you've played this year that you liked, but you didn't like quite enough to put in your top five? Uh, I would start off with my first honorable mention being Monster Hunter Rise. Um, I think it's a great game. Uh, it has a pretty big fan base. A lot of people out there loved it. I just don't think that it did enough differently or did enough, you know, improving from Monster Hunter World to really be considered, you know, for Game of the Year. Um, my second honorable mention would be Bowser's Fury. Um, I'm not really going to include 3D World because it was a Wii U port and everybody's already played that game, so it's not really new. But Bowser's Fury could have been a Game of the Year contender if it had been a 40-hour long campaign you know 30 to 40 hours and instead of giving us 3d world they'd given us that 
I think that would have been a fantastic game. I think that, you know, they could have, you know, they really could have just made, you know, some of the islands bigger, made some of the missions longer, you know, maybe mm-hmm. um, adjusted the gameplay a little bit so that way, you know, maybe Bowser wasn't so much on a timer, but, you know, there would be timed boss events that would happen. And, and you know, it, it just it really could have been bigger and it just wasn't enough. Um, and then my last one is uh, New Pokemon Snap. Um, I loved it. I think that it was such a fun, relaxing game and a, a big break from all of the really high, intense, action-packed, uh, you know, games that we tend to stick to. But it was also, it was, it, you know, it's a very simple game. Uh, you basically you are on a set path and you take pictures of Pokemon, and that is it, it is what it is. But it was it was a good enough game to where I think it, it should definitely be mentioned. I agree on both Monster Hunter Rise and New Pokemon Snap. Those are both two of my honorable mentions as well. I think those are both really, really good games. Um, they didn't quite do enough for me, though, uh, to get into the top five. I'll throw another Nintendo Switch title in there as well. This is the most recent title, uh, Mario Golf Super Rush. Um, hard to believe I've already put about 16, 17 hours on it, but uh, my time finally updated on my Switch last night, and I was able to find out. Uh, but again, it's a really, really fun game, great party game. I've we, I've really enjoyed playing it. It's been frustrating at times, but a whole lot of fun the entire way. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. And then my last honorable mention, uh, just because I don't really think, we don't really talk about sports games very often, um, MLB The Show 21, though, has, has been a really, really good game. I think this is a really good entry into this franchise, into this series. Um, I like I like the road to the show mode. I, I think they've done some really good things there. And again, just a really fun game. It's good to kill time with. It's a good little it's it's fun to play if I'm not feeling an intense story or, you know, intense gameplay. Um, it's good. It's just it wasn't quite good enough to crack the top five for me. So before we get into the top five now, Kyle, <laughs> I think we're about to say the same game here, but what is your least favorite game you've played this year? Um, so this might come as a little bit of a surprise, but, um, my least favorite game was probably Outriders because I just completely forgot about that game. I think that we played it for a little bit and I don't think it really did enough for me personally to want to continue playing it. I had fun a little bit with what I played, but it just, I don't think that it was necessarily the game for me. I just, I don't know. I, I I didn't really put in that much time on it, and it didn't stay on my Xbox very long. We are on the exact same wavelength because my least favorite game is also Outriders because that game was about as mid as mid could be because the gameplay was rudimentary and was nothing special. The story was bland. Characters were bland. Nothing this story could do, nothing this game could do could make me want to go back and play it, and that is why it is also not even on my Xbox anymore. So, Outriders, ugh. I'm sure there are people that enjoy it, and if you enjoy it, good for you, but mm, I just... Hit it, us up, because I haven't, I haven't seen any. <laughs> <laughs> it, it certainly couldn't be me, and I know it couldn't be you. So, so with that being said, let's, uh, let's talk about some good games, though. Let's talk about some of the best games we've played this year. I think there's going to be a couple surprises on each of our lists, but Kyle, uh, what's number five on your list? Number five for me is Oddworld Soulstorm. Okay. Mainly because I think it was very visually pleasing. I think that the platforming was very challenging. However, I enjoyed it because of the challenge. Uh, it's definitely not a game for everybody. I think that this is a audience-specific 
but I really enjoyed what I what I got out of it. I think that it's got a you know it's got a it, a decent story. Um, I never really played much of the older ones, so I think that there's a little bit of a, a barrier there because you kind of need to understand a little bit of what's going on and some of these characters to really have attachment to them. But I thought it was I, I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed what I got out of it. I think that Oddworld for me had moments of greatness, but I think the moments of frustration just got a little. They wore a little too uh, wore a little too long on me, uh, to where I wasn't f- able to fully appreciate it. But you're 100 percent right that it was a very visually and aesthetically pleasing game to look at. Um, again, just a sign of what the PS5 is able to do. It's a really good game. I'm sure I probably will at some point go and give it a try. But it, it just I don't think it was really for me at that time. Um, I'll stay in the PS5 universe though for my number five pick. Is my number five pick is Returnal. Um, I think Returnal again is a is a fantastic uh, display of what the PS5 can do. Uh, gameplay wise, probably one of the best third person shooters uh, that we've seen in recent years. I, in fact, I can't think of a third person shooter that I've played that had better gameplay in this game, and it's very addictive. You know, you get on thinking, okay, I'm just going to do one run, and I know Kyle, you've had plenty of moments like that going for the platinum trophy. Um, you get on thinking, I'm just going to do one run. And then, you know, you, you you look up what feels like five minutes later and, you know, five hours have passed. So, uh, incredibly addicting gameplay, really good storytelling. I, I, I think that for a game, for a roguelike, the storytelling is pretty solid. Um, the difference in five and four for me on my list was I enjoyed four's story a little bit more, or I am currently enjoying four's story a little bit more. Um, so I think that that was kind of what did it for me. Uh, Returnal, obviously, again, a very, very niche title, as we said in our review of it from a few weeks ago. Uh, it's a very niche title. You know, it's hard. And there are a lot of people that this might not be their kind of game. But that's, that's okay. Because I think that a lot of people that love roguelikes can agree that Returnal is a great entry into the PS5 library. And I think a lot of people that play this game, um, they obviously have plenty of reason to love it. So... Going on down to number four, Kyle, what is it? My number four would be Hitman 3. I thought uh, that was going to be higher. I, I love, I love, love, loved the game. Uh, I think it was an amazing conclusion to the Hitman trilogy. And as I am sad to see this series go, I am excited for their new game, their new James Bond game, uh, hopefully it's not just a Hitman clone because I think that yeah. that'll be awful. But I really enjoyed this series. I I liked that they didn't really change much up from the basic formula from Hitman One all the way to Three. They also included it in all like you know you load up Hitman Three and it's got every level from Hitman One and Hitman Two and Hitman Three on the same menu. So it's just. You know, it's just one streamline of a story, and it, it it was done so beautifully. I really, really enjoy the menu in it. But you know, the the visuals were pleasing, the gameplay was pristine. I really, really like this game. You know, I wish that it had been a little bit longer. Um, I think it was a little short, and I wish it had come out maybe a little bit later in the year because it came out so early that not a lot of people are really talking about this now, especially with some of these other games that have come out that are definitely higher up on our list. I would love to talk at this moment about Hitman 3, but hint, hint, you're going to hear more from me about that game a little bit later on in the show. So uh, my number four, and this is probably going to be the biggest surprise from both of our lists because I feel like this is a game that has been forgotten, but in terms of exclusives and what 
the Nintendo Switch has put out this year. Um, I feel like my top five would not be complete uh, without Bravely Default 2. So I'm going to put Bravely Default 2 at four uh, because for, as a person who is not into JRPGs, um, I've, I love this game. I think that the characters are really easy to love. I think the dialogue can sometimes be a little cringy. Not Kingdom Hearts level of cringe, but, you know, Matt's not here. I can say that. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, it's it's well written enough, and the story is very well written. It's kind of cliched. I mean, your, your group is known as the Heroes of Light, and you're battling a source of darkness for some crystals. Sounds like every JRPG ever, right? The problem is, or the difference is, is that I love the way that turn-based combat is built in this game. How you can default and build up some moves to where in one turn you can unleash multiple attacks. Or you can go ahead and use some attacks you have not built up, but you're not able to defend or attack your next turn based on how you do that. And it leaves you vulnerable for an attack. So there's a lot of strategy that goes into it. Uh, The art design and the music, I would have to say probably my favorite of the year so far. In terms of art design, world design, uh, soundtrack, score, it's 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 all fantastic. This this earns uh, you know the highest marks across the board in terms of that. So, uh, Bradley Default Two is one that I would definitely say if you're a Switch owner and you've never really been into JRPGs, you're kind of like me. Uh, give this one a try. It's I think that this is one you could easily find yourself loving. So, uh, with that being said, I guess I'll go ahead and go down to my number three since I kind of hinted at it. Uh, number three for me is Hitman Three. So, and if you had told me at the beginning of the year that number three, uh, it would be number three at this point in the year in my uh, game of the year ranking, uh, I wouldn't have believed you because I have never been a Hitman fan, never loved them, but I finally gave it a try and I loved this game. I think level design, I don't know that I've seen a game do level design much better than this one does, especially when you talk about diversity in levels because there's one level where you're in a cyberpunk-esque version of japan or you're in the uh the countryside in scotland at a mansion or in england at a mansion you know performing detective work or you're at a an underground nightclub like there's just so much diversity um a lot of what you said kyle is what i could say for my critiques is that i wish the game was a tad longer feel like it kind of came to an abrupt halt but I don't think there's very many negatives outside of that. I think that this is a very strong game, and my hope since beating it has been that hopefully, when we when you know when December rolls around, we're talking about Hitman Three in the conversation for Game of the Year still. So I loved it again. I think fantastic. It, it looks it looks great. It runs great. Runs at a beautiful 60 FPS and. I, I think there's I think there's a lot to love in this game. So, Kyle, what is your number three? My number three was actually Returnal. Um, okay, I'm not going to lie. I expected that to be... I think I expected that to be your number two, so that does surprise me a little bit. Oh, yeah. I, ooh, I have a love-hate relationship with this game. I've put in over 100 hours on this game. <sighs> there's still more to go. So I have <laughs> one trophy left for that Platinum. <laughs> that... A and, godforsaken platinum. <laughs> <laughs> the platinum run. <laughs> it's the platinum run. Every run is the platinum run now. <laughs> yeah, every every time I start up that game, Rusty and I are always like, all right, this is the platinum run, and then I die, and it's next time, all right, this is the platinum run. <laughs> hey, man, positivity is key. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this game, it was a lot, a lot of fun. 
it was very aggravating as well because of how difficult this game was. This is, aside from the Dark Souls games, this is probably the hardest game I have ever played in my life. Facts. It is, I mean, just so insane. There's by the, by the time you get to the end of this game, there is so much happening at once, all all on the screen. I mean, there's the enemies are just throwing so much at you, and I gotta give it to them. The movement in this, the the movement and the combat is so smooth because for all of this to be happening, and I can actually dodge it. And I can go an entire, you know, I can I can do the entire final boss fight without getting hit. That's impressive because a lot of games struggle to find a good balance between, you know, like enemy projectiles and m combat speed and, you know, agility, uh, you know, so, some sort of smooth way to be able to dodge so much happening at once. And this game as a roguelike has perfected it in my eyes because... There is not a moment where it feels like you have to slow down. You can take this entire game 100 miles an hour, and you can just be going and going and going. Or you can take it at a crawl, and you can go room by room searching every little corner, you know. And there are times when it gets really intense, and there's times when there's not a whole lot happening. And I just felt so balanced with the enemy variety, with the weapon variety... With the way that they, you know, give you so many different consumables and, you know, artifacts that give you uh, buffs and boosts and different abilities for that run. I think that there was so much that this game did good. There's not a whole lot that I have to critique on this game other than why is it so freaking hard? <laughs> I swear, man, that's that's been my issue. It's just the game is I'm just not good at it. <laughs> I'm really just not good at it. But but I can agree with everything you said is that there's there's a certain level of of perfection that is required in the gameplay for you to be able to make it as far as you have and to earn the platinum. Like hopefully you will soon. Hopefully this next run actually is the platinum run. <laughs> Knowing our luck, it'll probably be 300 runs from now that will be the platinum. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> um, I think that with that being said, I think that that kind of takes the mystery out of what the, each of our top two is. I think our top two is probably the same. So I will go ahead and give you mine. Um, this is and by no way, shape, or form by me putting this game at two. Am I saying that it is not deserving of game of the year? Uh, you can go back on my Twitter page at RustyLS underscore shameless plug, um, <laughs> and you can find multiple tweets where I have said that I believe this game is a 100% a game of the year contender. And when it first came out, I said I think this game will win game of the year. Now. Keep in mind, we had not had any of the announcements that we've had recently with Far Cry 6, Horizon Forbidden West, and Dying Light 2. Had none of those announcements. Halo Infinite had none of those announcements. Um, so my tone has obviously shifted on that a little bit, but it doesn't change the fact that my number two, Resident Evil Village, is still a fantastic survival horror game. It's still just a great game overall. And I think what does it for me is that... You know, Resident Evil 7 was very clearly um, trying to go back to the roots of the first two or three games, where it was more about that psychological horror, it was more about the survival part, of, or the horror part of survival horror. Um, it didn't give you anything, didn't give you a lot of ammo, especially on higher difficulties. This one goes back, this one feels a lot like Resident Evil 4, though. 
And Resident Evil 4, by a lot of people, is considered to be one of you know the greatest survival horror games of all time, and many people believe it to be the best in the franchise. Uh, for me, Village is up there. Uh, from a story perspective, I love that there feels like there's constant progression. There's constant figuring things out, getting new places, new areas opened up. Yeah, the last hour and a half or so does turn into a little bit of, you know, doom <laughs> with how much running and gunning you do. You do feel like you're playing Doom Eternal instead of playing Resident Evil. Um, but I'm really excited for what this franchise, what it could do in Resident Evil 9. And I think that the ending sets up for a whole lot. So my number two... Resident Evil Village. Kyle, I think that your number two is the same as mine, but I will let you take it from here. <laughs> yeah, Resident Evil Village was really, really good. I I got to say, there's not much that I disliked about that. If anything, I don't think that there was anything I really disliked about the game. The enemies were great. I think that the story was fantastic. The combat was awesome, even if at the end, yes, it did get a little, a little doom. Uh, ask, but I thought that it was, you know, it did a good balance of horror and action. And Resident Evil has really struggled, you know, with this over the past few installments. And I think with Resident Evil 7, um, they definitely had a really good heading. And this game just took Resident Evil 7 and improved upon it tremendously. I would say the only thing that I would change about this game is I would maybe make the second and third areas just a, just a little bit longer because when you play back through it, I feel like all of the puzzles are, you know, once you get it, once you figure it out, you, you know, it's kind of muscle memory, you know what to do and you can beat this game really, really fast. And it feels like I wouldn't say that, you know, the second and third areas were rushed, but in replaying it, it feels rushed because I already know everything of what to do. And when, you know, I know exactly what pathways to take to avoid the giant baby monster, and I know exactly how to get every piece out of the wooden doll, it makes that whole entire level, that a whole one-fourth of the game, a 30-minute section. And... I don't think that's terrible, but I personally would have just liked a little a little bit more out of the second or third year. But aside from that, I think that this game was fantastic. I think that it definitely should be in the talks for game of the year. Um, I think that the only thing that ranks above it is going to be our number one. It's going to be a hard one to beat. You know, the thing with, the, with number one and number two here, uh, I'll go ahead and make a prediction. I think that of our top fives, I think these two are going to be the only two that at the end of the year are in the game of the year discussion. I, I realistically think that is true. So, uh, number one, I mean, you've kind of figured it out by now. It's it's you know only the best best game to come out on the PS5. Sorry, PS4 owners, and sorry, Xbox and Switch fanboys. Um, the PS5 has had numerous numerous successful releases in its first eight nine months of being out, and none, in my opinion, have been better. Then Godfall. I'm just kidding. Absolutely not. Ratchet and Clank Rift <laughs> Apart. <laughs> Got you there for a second. No. Uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, though. Um, fantastic game. And it's become one of my favorite games of all time. That sounds like a cliche. Um, I was not looking forward to this game at all. I uh, the only My only foray into the Ratchet and Clank franchise had been the PS4 game, which 
is terrible, but but I I fell in love with this game from the first level on, and it's kind of unreal to think that I've played through it four times. All of us here at Side Mission have the Platinum Trophy. Um, I think the only critique I could say is that I wish it was maybe, again, just a tad longer, but I mean, I love the level design. The combat is fantastic. The way it loads everything when you go from, you know, a level into one of the pocket dimensions, like that's a loading screen if you think about it. And it's loading up an entire area in in seconds. And really not even that long. It loads it up instantaneously. So it's it's I'm sure I butchered that word, but but it's such a fantastic game. The characters are so easy to love. The story's fantastic. I hope and I would imagine that this is not the last we will see of characters like Rivet and Kit. I think they were both they're both easily fan favorites now compared to, you know, it's very, very hard to introduce a character late into a series that uh fans are supposed to love or or empathize with. Um Look at Last of Us Part Two with Abby. There you go. But I think Riven and Kit are, are gonna be are gonna be mainstays in this franchise. I would love to see a spinoff with them. Ratchet and Clank, obviously the same characters they've always been. They're fantastic. Uh just a fantastic game. And right now, this would be my game of the year, and I don't know that I see any game topping it. One hundred percent this is my game of the year. I I think the only thing that could possibly compete with this being my game of the year would be Far Cry six because of I'm just a, I'm just such a yeah. big fan of the Far Cry series. Same. And this one, I mean, it's looking like it's gonna be, you know, it's it's probably gonna take over Far Cry three and four as my favorites, because like I, I loved Far Cry five. I, I wouldn't say that it's my favorite, but this this game looks so good, and oh my goodness, it's just. But more onto that later, of course. Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. From the very first trailer, I was just beyond hyped because I did not get as much of a chance to get into the Ratchet and Clank series growing up. And I'm so excited that, you know, I have had this opportunity now. Um, I would say that this is the closest thing to a perfect game that we have seen on the PS5. Until God of War Ragnarok comes out, this is the console-defining game for the PS5, especially coming out so early in you know its lifetime. The console hasn't even been out for a year, and this game, this game is just so gorgeous. There's nothing to complain about. I mean the the way you can you know just switch from from weapon to weapon mid combat so smoothly. Is it's amazing the way that you can you know the platforming, the platforming is not so infuriating like at the end of Doom Eternal where for whatever reason they they had you doing all these crazy jumps the, the platforming is it's great the the enemy variety is you know on one hand I think that you know on on the one dimension most of them were like the robot enemies but even then they still managed to bring out more of these you know robot versions of these enemies and you know different versions of these enemies to make it feel different but also every single planet you went to had different enemies there were there was somebody there different there were different characters there was different life there was just you know it didn't feel like every single area was just a copy and paste of you know the same life forms the same enemies you know the story was amazing. I think that there is nothing for me to complain about about the story. The characters were well-rounded. They were very lovable. 
this game is without a doubt my game of the year. There you have it. Everybody else is wrong. We're the ones that are correct. This is the definitive list. <laughs> no, we're just kidding. Uh, no, that I think that I think that Rift Apart 100% um, should be game of the year at this point. I'm with you that Far Cry 6 is the only thing that will change my mind. But what you said about this is as close to a perfect game as you can get, that's facts. That's true. There's very, very little wrong with this game. Fantastic. Uh, every game in our top five, I think we can you can make an argument for them being uh, in any spot except for really Oddworld or Bravely Default. But but that is going to do it for this episode of Side Mission. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at Side Mission Pod and on YouTube at Side Mission Podcast. For one half of the boys, Kyle Lynch, I'm Rusty Ellis. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Side Mission Podcast. Keep up with new episodes and download your favorites in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center.